Hey everyone, welcome to episode 111 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week's guest is Norwegian landscape photographer Ule Henrik Schelta. Ule is a math teacher and an incredible landscape photographer, most famously known for his photography of a red cabin near his home in Norway. In this episode of the podcast, Ule and I have a wonderful time meandering through various topics, including what it's like living in Norway, what makes landscape photography fun, how his background in mathematics has translated into his photography uh, work, what our thoughts on creativity are, whether or not we should be accountable to others as artists, and what the heck happened to 500px. This week over on Patreon, Ule and I discuss our answers to the question, is landscape photography characterized by elitism and hierarchies? Okay, let's get to the show. Well, Ule Henrik Schelta, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And uh, I'm very happy to be here. It's actually, uh, I feel very honored to, to be on your podcast. I have heard so much about it and read about it. But it's in my family, it's my wife who listens to podcasts. I'm afraid I'm, I'm not a good listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. I mean, you live pretty close to a lot of amazing uh, places to photograph, so you probably don't spend like 40 hours in the car like some of us crazy Americans do. Well, Greg Benz visited me last summer, and he had uh, a lot of uh, Nick Page podcasts mm, on his mm-hmm. uh, cell phone. So while we drive up to Romsdalen and then down to, to Vestlande, we he played several of his podcasts. And that is actually a great idea. I was in Romsdalen this weekend and should have re- have downloaded some podcasts instead of playing music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's how I like to travel is I'll download some of Nick Page's podcasts and some other non-photography podcasts and usually makes the drive go a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah, it did. You are absolutely right. When, when I drove with Greg and we listened to those podcasts, the time flew and we, suddenly we were at our, our, where we were at this destination. Yeah. Well, Ule, how about uh, maybe take a moment to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you have a pretty extensive uh, background there in Norway, and I think listeners would be really interested to hear about your background living up there, and then also how you how you got into photography. Yes, uh, I'm originally from the north of Norway. Finsnes, which is the closest town to, to Senja. Uh, we moved to the south when I was 18. So I have spent most of my life just north of Oslo. And the landscape around here is rather flat and, and agricultural landscape with hills and a lot of lakes. And it's nothing compared to the northern Norway. Mm. So uh, I have... Uh, been to high school here, to university, and uh, have worked in, in 
I was when I was finished as an as an engineer, computer engineer back in 1988. There was no jobs. Everything went down. Banks. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a really tough time for many. So I ended up working in a in a shop, and I worked in uh, in shops until uh, actually 2003, and then I oh, wow. hit the wall and uh, went into a pretty severe depression, and I was yeah suicidal in my thinking patterns at times. Uh, luckily, we have a, a good security net here in Norway, so after spending a year home, I could start and continue my education. So I trained as a teacher three years at uh, a college here in Hønefoss. And when I was done with my three years, I got a job immediately. And I've since then worked as a teacher in the Norwegian high school system. That is students from 16 to 19 years old. And you're, uh, you teach math, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So awesome. m- math pays my bills and, <laughs> and photography doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good to hear that there's a lot other people out there that have that in common with me. <laughs> yeah, you say I have no business talent whatsoever. So, and, uh, so this is just a hobby. And uh, how it started out? Well, I got this uh, Samsung cell phone. I believe it was back in 2012. And it had uh, a camera, which was easy to use. So I started taking pictures with that camera and, and found the activity very fun and, and refreshing. And until then, yeah, only my wife was the photographer in the family. I didn't believe I had any talent whatsoever in that direction. Mm. So I left everything to her. So when we were out driving to West London, for example, to visit friends, she liked to stop with waterfalls and so on to take pictures. And I couldn't figure why she wanted to stop the car all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this time, no, it's uh, the other way around, of course. Um, and as mentioned, I found the activity very refreshing and, f- and fun. And, and it's, I believe it somehow touched a, a creative side I, I didn't know I had. Mm. So when we were nearing January in 2013, I asked my wife, is it okay that we buy a real camera to me? As, for example, as a birthday present. I have my birthday 2nd of January. And she said, yes, let's do that. So we went to a local store and bought the cheapest crop camera we could find with our, with our kit lens. <laughs> what was it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was a Canon uh, EOS. Was it a 60D or something like that? Okay. <laughs> and uh, I thought I had bought a really great camera. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea, you know. <laughs> so when I started out, I only sh- shot pegs. I had no idea there existed something like raw files, no idea whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a few months later, a friend of our daughter visited. She liked uh, to take portraits, that young lady. And uh, we started talking about photography and she said, you have to shoot in raw. And I said, uh, say it again, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, what is that? I had no clue whatsoever. 
And uh, so I had to start doing some Googling and investigate what on earth is a raw file. And then when I understand, understood what that was, I, <laughs> of course I had to start to buy software. <laughs> so uh, I think Nick's suit or uh, software was the first thing I bought. And then I found oh, out the, that it, the Nick, uh, the bundle. What is it like? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah the, the whole thing from, from Google, I think I paid $149 mm-hmm. for it back then. But it turned out that that the bundle needed a host. I had no idea it needed a host, so I had to buy Lightroom in addition. And then I could start using Nick software. Right. <laughs> so and uh, I had uh, someone I knew in the local photo club, and he taught me about how to shoot HDR to, to get all the dynamic range in a scene. So I started out shooting HDR. Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's yeah. just like me, though. I did the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think most uh, started out like that. But but when did you start shooting with photo- photography? Yeah, I started <clears throat> in twenty like 2010, 2011. So um, it's right around the same time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. But why did you want to start out with, with photography? What what triggered your interest? Oh, for me, I was uh, I was climbing all these mountains here in Colorado, and I wanted a way to um, bring bring back those photos of those those hikes and those climbs, and so that I could so that I could look at them uh, in the future, just look back on them and share them with friends and family. That's really what it was all about for me, and oh. it just exploded from there. <laughs> are, are you telling me you live in Colorado? I do, yeah. Oh man, I have seen images from Colorado, and the scenery you have there is amazing. Don't tell anyone. No, I won't. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we have uh, we have ceased sharing locations. Yeah, although I mean, you've got some pretty sweet stuff up there in Norway. I mean, like Senja, I think it's like that place just looks absolutely unreal. Yeah. Yeah, you mean Senya? It's a Senya, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, soft J. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I visited Senya a lot. Mm. The, the mountains, the fjords, it it was just how things were. I didn't give it any second second thought. <laughs> that, that was the landscape I had around me, so it isn't before now that I have learned to appreciate these amazing sceneries we have in the north and also in Romsdalen and along the western coast of Norway. Yeah, there's something about uh, fjords uh, that are just like the way that they're formed and what it creates in terms of that steep relief between the ocean and the mountains. It's just, it's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, that I, is, uh, yeah. I hadn't actually seen any fjords until I went to Iceland a couple of years ago and my oh man, my mind was blown. <laughs> I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah. When did you go to Iceland? Mm. Two I years ago. To, yeah, it was. Um, well, I guess it was just a year ago now. So it was March of 2018. Yeah. Ah, right. Did you get any aurora? 
I got super lucky. We had like five days straight of aurora and clear skies. <laughs> really? Man, that's yeah. pretty unusual up there. Yeah, they weren't like big storms um, in terms of like, I think they were like KP4, KP5, um, but it was still amazing, you know? Yeah. Was that your first encounter with Aurora? It was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How how did you react the first time you you saw it? Oh, I mean, it's it's unlike anything I've ever experienced, Um, especially... There was one night in particular where uh, the aurora was like visibly moving across the sky, like very fast. And um, we just happened to be at Vesterhorn that night. And it was, it was unbelievable. (laughs) But, but, but uh, you, how how was your inner reaction? Did did you shed a tear? Did you jump up and down from joy? What happened? I think, I think we were all just like, hooping and hollering like Woo-hoo! like we were just so excited it was yeah it was um i don't know it was like very emotional but lots of excitement and happiness and yeah. joy and wonder yeah definitely all that yeah yeah it's the whole package it's yeah whole, yeah <laughs> well especially if you've uh never really experienced much of it before that i suppose you're probably somewhat used to it living up there but um Gosh, what an amazing uh, feast for the eyes that thing is. That is. It truly is. (laughs) So, uh, as mentioned, I grew up in the north of Norway, and I'm pretty sure I saw the aurora when I was a kid. But honestly, I cannot remember. Mm. So the first time I saw aurora as an adult was in December 2014. I was out. Oh, wow trying to practice my night shooting. I, I did everything wrong, as I usually do. But <laughs> I, anyway, I had, had some practice. So when the aurora hit, I knew what to do, so I wouldn't spoil the moment. Mm. And, you know, I, I set up my camera and tried to make a composition. And then I checked the image in camera. And then I saw something green in camera. <laughs> what and thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> what have I done wrong now? Oh, my, again. <laughs> and then it hit me hard. This is Aurora, Will Hendrick. And then I, I have to admit, I shed not a few tears. I didn't cry, but I shed a few tears. And mm. then I started to work really fast mm-hmm. to try yeah. to record it. Yeah. The, you know, I've, I've shot, I've done a lot of night photography, and shooting the Aurora is a little bit different because of how fast it moves. I, I found it to be really challenging but like in a good way you know like mm. it was it's it's not like shooting anything else no uh, this far south as, as i live it doesn't move very much as you can see for the north in, in lofoten and iceland so it it is of a different quality so mm-hmm. i can sh- shoot uh, 20 25 seconds and have all the greens i need yeah i mean i remember for one spot I was shooting four or five seconds, and it was still too long. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. So I, I believe for the north, you have to go down to, to, to two or four or five seconds to, to, to freeze it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, so I really hope to, to go to Lofoten or perhaps Iceland and, and see the strong, powerful aurora. 
as mm. people usually shoot and, and see. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. What what was it like uh, growing up in Norway? Because I feel like, I don't know, I'm a relatively, uh, how do I say this? I'm fairly liberally minded for an American. And I always think of countries like Norway as like that place sounds way better to than America. So what is it like growing up and living there? Uh, it's very safe very safe. Um, I, I remember my childhood with joy and you know we have free education on all levels also on college and universities. They only have to pay a, a small amount uh, just symbolic and have to buy their books themselves. So our parents do not have to save for years in order to send us to college. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all free. And healthcare is free, paid with our taxes. So you don't have to have any insurances against health problems. Mm -hmm. If I get sick, I just go to the hospital and I have no worries whatsoever. So Norway is in many ways a pretty harmon sorry, harmonious, is that correct mm. English? Mm -hmm. and, and peaceful country. And we are what we call a, a welfare state, a modern welfare state. Mm -hmm. so, so the only thing that's not really free is going to the dentist. Then you have to pay what it costs. <laughs> and that can uh, be expensive for someone who has not very good teeth, like, for instance, I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So I think you would have really enjoyed being here. And I think for many Americans, we probably come across as uh, very leftish, but we aren't truly. We are what? Uh, how do, how do you guys? Um, <laughs> we're steering away from photography, but that's no, okay. No, no problem. Uh, how do you guys uh, economically make that work in terms of? Uh, I guess it's not like I mean, you guys all most people still work and have jobs and pay taxes and things like that. How do, how does that work? from like the kind of common perspective? We have oil and the oil is, uh, has been very important in order to secure our standard of, of living. Mm, in, mm -hmm. in addition to that, we play these taxes, which many find perhaps a bit high, but on the other hand, we get so much for paying those money to the government or to the authorities. So you so is there uh, such thing as people that actually are wealthy there? Like how? Like is there a oh, huge yes. difference between people that are living modestly versus people with a lot of money? The the gap isn't as big in Norway as in, for instance, the USA and many other countries. So that has been a very important part of Norwegian politics after the World War Two. To even out differences and not making the gap too big. But of course, we have people who are millionaires and billionaires and from shipping or other kind of industries. But on, on a general note, we have not much poverty here mm -hmm. compared to many other countries. So you're so what you're saying is that you can still be a billionaire and live in a socialist country? No problem at all. In <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to put that in there because I feel like that's a huge misconception that people have about um, 
democratic socialism. Okay, well, let's. <laughs> I I want to kind of talk a little bit more about um, uh, your your math teaching, and I'm curious, um, kind of what some of the parallels are between uh, math mathematics and and landscape photography. In my head, math is in a different compartment than photography. Mm, okay, but but I think. Uh, I may have had an advantage because when I, I trained for being a math teacher, I also exercised my, my brain. So it has been fairly easy for me to learn the various as- aspects of photography, even though I have done every possible mistake along the road and still do. So th- that's not nothing I can boast about. It's just how I'm made. I have a brain that is... Yeah, it's, it's very fast. It works very fast, which also can be a problem because I'm easily <laughs> getting bored and, and often restless. Mm, yeah. So I'm just born that way. Uh, so what about, uh, I know one of the things about math um, that I know I personally struggled with was that it requires a lot of practice. Um, yeah, and I think, I'm wondering if you see any parallels between the amount of time it takes to to pick up math versus the amount of time it takes to pick up photography. Good point, Matt. Really good point. Yes, practice is everything. If you want to do well in math, you have to practice a lot. And the same goes for photography as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. I have spent an enormous amount of time both out behind the camera and it has been possible because I have all these beautiful lakes around me. It doesn't take very long to go there. And I have spent an enormous time in front of the computer trying to learn how to edit my images. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cannot boast of that either because this inner drive, which has in a way propelled me into this, I cannot explain it really. It is just there. It's a, such a strong inner drive which I absolutely have no control over. It just pushes me on. Have you, has that always been there for you in other parts of your life, or has photography really been the catalyst for that? People say that I'm a rather hopeless case. Whenever I start to interest for something, I give 100% okay. in that particular <laughs> thing. So I, I think that's one of my... <laughs> <laughs> one of my traits i'm afraid yeah <laughs> i'm i'm kind of the same way if i'm gonna do something i'm just gonna give it my all and hope for the best <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i think that's both a blessing and also in in a way perhaps also a small curse but uh, we try to think positively and think that's a, that's a blessing yeah which... for sure i think it can if you're not careful it can really uh, take over your life. So I, I've been really aware of that myself over the years in terms of not not letting something completely carry me away. You know, I think there, yeah. you have to find a balance. Yeah, correct. You have to find a balance. And, and I have a wife and I have two kids. Uh, they are 22 and 25 soon, so they are grown-ups. But I have to be there for them. And I think having a wife and children is a, is a fabulous counterweight when it comes to this inner drive, which both of us have. Absolutely. Well, I would say 
it's kind of a necessity to have balance when you're also making sure that you're taking care of another human life. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is something there. And I also often thought about if it wasn't for my family, I could have developed a terribly bad, big ego. Mm. And, and I kind of be uh, really a big asshole out there. So <laughs> that, that they help keeping me grounded. And, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that I would say that's definitely true for for my wife for sure. Like she keeps me pretty grounded in terms of you know not getting too carried away with this stuff. So that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. So you have to give her a hug from me when you're done. Okay, <laughs> will you? <laughs> I will. <laughs> good. good. Excellent. Well, earlier you were. Um, talking, asking me questions about, uh, the Aurora. And, um, uh, I couldn't help but think about that day or that night when I experienced that and how, how much fun that was. Mm. I'm curious for you, what makes, uh, landscape photography fun? It is those moments behind the camera when time ceases to exist when I'm in, in a sense is cap- I'm, I'm, the time ceases to exist. I'm just, I am. Mm. I am for a little while. No worries, no thought processes, just being there in the moment. Mm-hmm. That is something which cannot be explained. It can only be experienced. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a Zen moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a Buddhist or anything like that, but... Uh... That's the way. I, that's what I always try to compare it to. It's like, like you said, time kind of stops, and you don't. You're not thinking about anything else in the world, except for what's in front of you, and like the relationship between you and what you see. Yeah, correct. That's very well put. Yeah, which is, um, it is fun, but I think it, it's more than fun. I think it can also be um, some somewhat of a, a transcendent experience if you if you allow it to be Mm. yeah and there's also something about sitting behind the computer and edit an image then sometimes i get so involved in what i'm doing so time just flies yeah flies yeah you know what i mean i do yeah you look you're like start editing a photo at nine o'clock at night and you're like oh it's 1 a.m whoops yeah yeah (laughs) something like that something like that i should probably go to bed now (laughs) right (laughs) but you know i'm getting old so i'm i'm getting so tired around 10 11 in the evening so there's no point for me to continue editing i just have to go to sleep well i don't know about you but uh oftentimes if i edit late at night and then i come back and i look at the same image the next day i'm like whoa what what was i thinking Oh, I have been there so many times, and, and my one of my great weaknesses is that I post on social media way too early, too prematurely. Oh yeah, I have the same problem for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> why why did you post that image? You should have waited at least a week. Yeah, uh, I don't know about you. I just get really excited and want to share it, and then yeah, correct. It's not like I'm trying to show off. I'm just like really excited about what I see in front of me. And then I, so my new thing is I'll share it with like a couple of friends who are very critical 
mm. and they'll be like, oh, dude, you, you, you missed this thing. And what about this? And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so glad I sent that to you first. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, having friends like that is it's really a good thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've been yeah. thinking about creativity today. Mm. How, what do you think about creativity? What is that to you? For me, creativity, a lot of it is, it's this, it's this really interesting interplay between uh, the two sides of your brain, at least for me. So, you know, a lot of it for me is like visualizing, like if you show up to a, to a location um, and, you, and you're kind of walking around, you're looking, you're taking inventory of, of the objects and the things around you. Maybe there's a mountain over there, some trees over here. Maybe there's a couple rocks over here, some flowers down here. And uh, so, you know, you've, you've kind of taken inventory of what's available to you um, in the scene. And then that, I think, is when the creativity starts to kick in because then you start to think about, okay, how can I, like, what can I see here that works, like in terms of a composition or combining of colors or things like that? And then also, uh, for me, a lot of it has to do with um, visualizing what that end result could look like. Because uh, if I don't think about that ahead of time, um, I find oftentimes I I miss the mark in terms of uh, capturing a scene. So for me, I have to kind of think about what what the scene's going to look like in the end. Um, what about what about for you? My, my train of thought today has gone something like this. When my wife is uh, uh, adorning our living room, placing items around, trying to find some sort of balance between the various items, whether it's flowers or, or whatever, a vase, she's doing something creative, creatively. Sorry, my English isn't good. You're good, yeah. And uh, I'm thinking about my daughter when she tried to put together an outfit for an evening. Mm. That is also creativity. Absolutely. And I'm thinking uh, that basically all of us are creative beings. Mm. So for me, it's important to not turning creativity into something for only a, a few selected, gifted, uh, special people. It, it's something we all have. Mm. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why I can have a camera and be out there and enjoy those moments and having those interaction between in my brain as well as you have. Mm. And uh, if that means shooting the, the same subject once more, so as long as I have fun, so be it. I think what's interesting about what you just said in relation to photography is that uh, photography, I feel like, um, is such an accessible means of expressing creativity, which I think is really awesome because even after a short weekend with a little bit of help, you can already begin to express uh, different aspects of creativity that you may have never thought to try before. So I think that's what makes mm. photography so exciting as a creative medium. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And, and there's always new opportunities to try something new. 
uh, you can try out. Uh, I remember when, when I started to, to try out focus stacking. That was a, a new way of uh, exercising, my, exercising my creativity. Of course, my first attempts were terrible and I failed miserably as usual when I tried something new. But <laughs> with, with, <laughs> with practice, uh, we improve always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel the same way when it comes to like long exposures and things like that. I feel like that's another way to kind of try something new that's create can have a lot of creative output and a different result. If you change just one or two things about what you're doing, it can have a completely different outcome. Yeah, you're right. And when I started out, or I bought my first full frame in, in New York in October, 2014, we visited our daughter who studied over there mm. back then. And I also bought some filters, a six-stop and a ten-stop filter. Mm, mm-hmm. And when I got that ten-stop filter, I completely fell in love with long exposures. There was something about that sur- surreal feel they gave to the images, which spoke volumes to me. And uh, so for for almost uh, three-quarter of a year, I, I did almost exclusively long exposures. Mm, wow. Yeah, I, I feel like I did quite a bit myself but i i also i don't know have you have you ever i'm sure you've had this experience where you're shooting like a sunset with a like a 10 stop and then uh the light changes really dynamically and then you look at the final result and something went horribly wrong <laughs> with the file oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah like you completely underexposed it or completely overexposed yes, it, and it wasn't because you didn't calculate for it. It's because something dramatically changed in the conditions of the light, and it just completely <laughs> ruined what you had calculated and pre-planned. That happened oh, yeah. to me, like I want to say, like four or five times in a row. And I was like, I'm done with this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have been thinking just like you if that had happened to me. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> so, is ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, I live in, in a, an area of Norway where if you have a good sunset, it is rather stable and, and can last quite a while mm, that has that helps. probably saved me a lot of times yeah definitely because i don't know it probably has to do with um how far north you are towards the arctic circle and how much longer the like the arc of the sun is but like in the summer in colorado i mean it's pretty much like straight up and down you know or if you're on yeah. like the equator it's even worse like if you're in hawaii or something the sunsets are the sunsets and sunrises are like bam like that Whereas I remember when I was in Iceland, like the sunrise lasted for like two hours, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. So we visited, my wife and I visited the Maldives mm. last summer. And, you know, sunsets and sunrises were nothing like what we have here. Yeah, like, where'd the sun go? <laughs> yeah, where is it though? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's so... Uh, it's very different from where you are on the globe. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, um, you do a lot of uh, photography kind of close to home and it seems like you don't necessarily travel like all over the world as much as some photographers do. And I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of 
what you were talking about in terms of creativity and uh, shooting subjects that are that are closer closer to home versus traveling all over the world. I would love to travel more, but I cannot justify spending thousands of dollars on myself when I have a family who also has wishes and wants concerning vacations. Uh-huh. So, so I have landed upon that would be very selfish of me to do. So I have Norway. It's a beautiful country. I can sit, drive for four hours during summer and find uh, mountains and waterfalls. And the rest of the year, I try to use whatever I have around me. And I'm very fortunate. I live in an area which have beautiful lakes, which have snow during winter. We have a few waterfalls around here. And we have, of course, the cabin, which I have shot to death. Oh, is, this, <laughs> is this the red cabin? <laughs> yes, the red cabin. This is the I, one I, where, I just... uh, where Alex was saying, can we all stay at your little red cabin? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I so feel I like I've seen it. that. I've seen you shoot that a few times. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I, I discovered a cabin in August 2013, by accident, I just stumbled upon it and fell in love with it. Mm. And then I didn't revisit it before the, late that fall. And since it is so close to home, only 15 minutes, I visited again and again, notably in 2014 and 2015. And perhaps also partly, no, not so much 2016. And my excuse was that I'm doing this for my own sake, to have fun. So if I shoot it again, who cares? It's, it's only for me. Mm-hmm. But of course, I was criticized for shooting it so often, and, and rightly so. I, I earned it. <laughs> and, and that was a good thing, because it pushed me, pushed me out of my comfort zone. Mm. So I had to try to find other ways of expressing my photography, finding new compositions, try out different new things mm-hmm. and, and see if I could master that too. And uh, that was also a, a process I had to go through. So I have, in a sense, forgiven myself for overshooting that cabin back then. I didn't know better. So, But these days I try to shoot various compositions and various things. I'm curious. I really do. You said that you were criticized for it. And I feel like, you know, as photographers, we often do that to each other. We, we see areas of each other's work where we're like, oh, if only, if only you did this or if you did that, like you would have so much more success. And I feel like a lot of times it comes from a good place where, you know, we're trying to push each other to, to, to get better and stuff like that. But you could have easily taken that criticism and said, you know what, to heck with you guys, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. But you decided you know what, that's a good point. I should probably expand my boundaries. Like, what was it about that that made you decide to uh, interpret it that way versus the other way? Well, I have to admit, I'm I'm a sort of very sensitive person. So I I was, of course, hurt and uh, disappointed by those comments. But they started a, a process in me when I, which by and by, 
it dawned upon me that, okay, these people are right. They are actually right. I have to expand my tent and try to shoot other things. Mm-hmm. So that was, so it was a process that also from being hurt and disappointed and to taking it in a, in a positive way. Yeah. If you, if you catch my drift. I do. I, I'm glad you did that. I had a very similar experience back in, I think it was 2012. I had uh, unfortunately uh, decided to like stretch <laughs> some mountains uh, to make them yeah. look uh, pointier. Yeah. And, and I, of course, I was shooting HDR. So like the whole photo just looked ridiculous. And mm. uh, in, in retrospect, of course, in the moment, I was like, this is awesome. But yeah, uh, there's a very um, well-known uh, photographer here in Colorado who um, called me out publicly for it, um, and he mm-hmm. continues to do this to this day to other photographers. And it's interesting to see their reactions to mm. his, his criticisms. But my initial reaction, was similar to you, was I was hurt and offended and upset. Um, mm. But over probably over the course of a few months, I kind of looked back at that and I was like, he's right. That what I'm doing is ridiculous. Um, and it pushed me to, to, to try to process in a more natural way. And so I'm thankful for that, you know, criticism because it, it, it forced me to, to try different things and to, to, to become better. So, um, yeah. there's a, uh, there's another photographer. Um, I don't know exactly where he's based, but I would say like 95% of his images are from Patagonia. Like if you look yeah. at his photos, almost all of them are from Patagonia and they're really good. Mm. And a friend of mine reached out to him and was like, dude, your shots of Patagonia are so good, but like, why don't you shoot other places? Like we would love to, I'd love to see what you could do. Mm. And uh, he was like, his response was something along the lines of, I didn't know you were the photography police. <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't, that's not the point of what we're trying to say. Like, we just think no. maybe you should try something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, I have, okay. I have to speak for myself. Sure. I suppose uh, this ego thing of insecurity I have been burdened with insecurity for, for many years, mm. and as a grown up, I'm 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 starting to get more and more. Well, what, what shall I put it? Safe when it comes to myself. Sure, I know who I am, and if you're insecure, criticism can hurt really bad. You become offended because it's a part of you which you in fact feel are attacked it's something about your identity Mm -hmm. which is now is under attack and uh, i think that's one of perhaps one of the reasons why people tend to to respond let's say immature to to criticism yeah so it's not easy because you don't want to, to to take away the joy from people and it's not how shall we approach them in order to encourage them and not break them down. And, and some people are built in such a way that they can very well handle having a tough time being broken down and they rise again and move on. Mm-hmm. And then they are yeah, more confident and truer to themselves. So 
and, and we are so different. We, we people, some respond like that, some respond like that, and and we cannot and, uh, anticipate how people will respond to our words. It's really difficult. It is difficult. I feel like um, it's unfortunate when people with a lot of talent get offended easily because if if we're going to consider photography as an art form, I feel like, first of all, no one likes everyone's art. You know, there's, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like your stuff. Um, and oftentimes that's the, that's the 100% best way for you to improve as an artist is to get feedback on, yeah. on how to improve it. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate yeah. to see there. I feel like there is a lot of, um, ego in landscape photography. Yeah. I'm thinking so too, unfortunately. So, but just, just how it is. Yeah. So we could, of course, wish it was differently, but that's the reality of things, I, I believe. It is. Um, and I don't have an answer because, I mean, people have said things to me that hurt me before. and mm. Um, mm. But I've kind of come to this place. Maybe it just comes with age, but I don't get as offended easily, as easily anymore. I guess it's just you've kind of learned like it's not really worth getting upset over someone's comments on the internet or whatever. Yeah. That, that, that's, uh, you know, uh, I have had uh, several articles published on, on, for instance, Petapixel and mm -hmm. DIY mm -hmm. photography and the comments sections there can be, yeah, not very pleasant. <laughs> really. Brutal. <laughs> That can be brutal, but it's good training. It's really good training reading those comments. Yeah, because you learn, because you you have to learn to differ between is this has this something to do with me as a person? No, it hasn't. It has nothing to do with me. I am who I am in spite of those comments, and those persons are not significant others to me. Mm -hmm. So I can just leave it. And instead, I can focus on the positive comments and, and leave a reply to those who have a positive attitude. Yeah, I feel like so, my, my, my approach now is a little bit different than that because I find that um, even in the negative comments, there's often some, some grain of truth, you know, something that you can pick out of there that, that could be helpful in terms of self-improvement or, oh, you know, I didn't see it that way or you know what, there's a little bit of what you're saying that's true and that's something I'll keep in mind in the future kind of a thing. I feel like yeah. that's a really healthy way to read those horrible comments is to just mm. just take it like, yeah. oh, you know, good point. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have had comments like that, which I have thought about just like you explained now. But there are also other comments that which are just out of line completely and <laughs> sort of uh, have nothing to do with your work. So yeah. when you feel that that person is only there in order to create a bad mood or bad atmosphere. Right. Well, I think that's a good segue into one of the questions you had posed to me um, in your email, Yeah. which was, which I've, I think it's a really interesting topic because we yeah. can go in all kinds of directions. But uh, basically the question is, uh, 
Are we, or to which degree, are we accountable to others when we express or exhibit our artistic freedom? And I think yeah. that speaks to some of the things that we're talking about, but it also speaks to, um, you know, how we process our images. Do we composite images? Do we, you know, do we stretch images? Do we, you know, it can we can take that in all kinds of different directions. So, what do you what do you think? Should we be accountable to others? As a principle, uh, no. We are only accountable to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important, and it has become increasingly important to me to be honest. If someone asks me, that son, was it there at the scene? If someone asks me about that, then I will be truthful about it, whether I inserted a son or not, or if I enhanced the son or not. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I'm, I have to explain when I post an image on, for instance, Instagram or wherever, that I have to explain my the whole process, my creative process, and what I have done or not done. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a, a period in, in uh, Christian circles where uh, I think it was 20, 30 years ago, where this was this accountability movement, which created more harm than anything else, where people still thought that if they were accountable to each other, they wouldn't sin because sin was a big issue. And of course, this went all wrong, as, <laughs> as it often does when we try to live that life by law and legalism and not faith. So, that's perhaps one of the main reasons why I'm thinking like I'm thinking that uh, the moment I start to become accountable to others, I'm not longer responsible for my own action and for who I am. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we also have to, to trust that there is, is a process going on in each and every one of us. I know I have really done a lot of stupid things in my editing <laughs> during the years, oversaturated, uh, exaggerated, all kinds of things. But there's a process going along all the time. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you find yourself one day being way more subtle in your editing, you're way more subtle in your colors, you try to create mood and create good images using other techniques which are yeah let's use the words perhaps realistic sure so so there is something there what are your thoughts about accountability and stuff like that yeah you know i mean it's definitely something i've talked a lot about and written a lot about um i i'm struck by something that happened to me uh yesterday a friend of mine on facebook who's not a photographer at all uh tagged me in the comments of a, like one of those big, uh, I don't know, like some big sharing page that has like millions of followers. And, uh, they, it was a picture of a, of an Ibex, like one of those goats that are like in, Oh my God, I don't know. Like, I think they're in South America maybe. Um, okay. And, uh, they have those big, long curly horns and it was a picture of one of those goats at sunset and there was a perfectly placed full moon um, right in the middle of the circle of the horn. And, um, you know, it looked pretty realistic. And my friend's question was something along the lines of, 
is this real or is this just another example of people uh, like faking stuff in Photoshop to make it look better than what really, what really happened? I think is along the lines of what they asked me. And of course, you know, being a nerd, I was, I went on this little investigation and tried to find the original source of that image. And the only place I could find it was on Reddit and over on Reddit, the comments were just hysterical, like, um, versus the Facebook page, like all the people on face, the Facebook page were like, Oh my God, that's amazing. It's beautiful. It's incredible. You know, like just gushing. And then over on Reddit, everyone was like, that's fake. Uh, that dude just Photoshopped in that moon. It's totally unreal. Like this is bullshit. All the photos we see here on Reddit are fake and bullshit. Like this is just ridiculous. I hate how people do that. And I was just struck by that stark, uh, contrast uh, in comments <laughs> of like yeah, the two yeah, different audiences yeah. uh, seeing the same exact yeah. image. Um, so I, I think I think it's just interesting that um, it can evoke such strong feelings of positive and negative. Um, yeah, and I and I don't understand completely why that happens, but I think it's because. People that um, I feel like there's something that happens with some people where they feel duped, you know, mm. they feel like, mm. oh, you tricked, you're trying to trick me. Yeah. I don't like being tricked. Um, I think, yes. I think that's what's behind the whole like accountability thing is that people don't want to be lied to. Um, yeah. So I think that's what that's about. From my perspective, you know, of course, with the nature of the internet, it's very difficult to, uh, like, I could post a composited image of the moon right now with an explanation of how I did it, that it's fake. And then in two weeks, it could show up on some Reddit page with no explanation attached. Um, yeah. So I think it's hard to, like, marry the fidelity of the description with the image. But I do think uh, it's important to, um, at the very least, be honest if you're asked about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of the, for me, that's the, the bottom line. That's the kind of the low bar that I'm setting for people. <laughs> um, me personally, I think you should be very forthcoming about it right from the get go. Yeah. And even better, yeah. like, just don't, just don't do it. Um, but yeah, I think we're all in different stages of that as artists and yeah. and different we have different tastes and you know some of us are trying to achieve a more true to experience or realistic image and some people are trying to achieve something that's very otherworldly, very surreal, very different than what you would ever experience in real life and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. But if as a viewer, I think it's important for some viewers to know what they're looking at, you know, is this yeah, meant to be realistic or is it not? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think you have a lot of valid and, and good points and, and you explain things so well. So I try, I, well, I fumble through well it a little done, bit. Sir. <laughs> well done, sir. I wish I had your oral skills, but I don't. Well, I'm sure if you were speaking in uh, Norwegian, you could do it. 
Yeah, if, yeah, probably I could. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. I think. No, it was very well explained by you, very articulate. Um, I have often been, been thinking that if someone one day said to me, Ole Henrik, from now on, you have to edit your images as little as possible and they have to be completely realistic. Mm-hmm. That day, I would probably stop photography. Mm, interesting. That's funny. It's funny because uh, I feel like the opposite thing kind of happened in like between 2012 and 2016. I feel like there was such a huge push for editing, um, especially like hyper-realistic editing, um, where that was the, like if you think, I know we want to talk a little bit about 500px, but if you think about, like back in the day, like 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, mm. 500px was the place to yeah. post your landscape photos and like get eyeballs on them. Yeah. Like millions and millions of people would view your photo if it was, uh, if it made it to the, you know, 99 or whatever the score was. Yeah. And if you think back to when that was true, if you think back to what were the images that stood out the most all week, like day, every single day, it was these hyper-realistic, super edited uh, photos from people like Ryan Dyer and Mark Adamus and, 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 and people like that. Like those were the images that would um, stand out. Mm. And, uh, and I think that pushed a lot of people in that direction. Like, well, if, if I'm going to stand out as an artist, as a landscape photographer, then that means I need to to push my images to the max, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I was I was talking to a photographer. I'm not going to say their name, but they basically quit uh, photography because of that because they felt like those those are the only kinds of images that people wanted to see anymore, and those yeah. weren't the kinds of images that they wanted to create. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that if if that was what was forced upon me, then I would just quit taking pictures. Because I think for some people, it felt like the opposite was being forced upon uh, the community. Now, obviously, it's all a choice, right? Like, yeah, you can yeah. choose to edit that way or not. But yeah, it's it's very interesting in this story you're telling. Really interesting, and it puts things in perspective. Absolutely, also for me. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on 500px and and all that? Like, because for probably five years there, like it was the place to see and post the best photos in the world, and then it just completely—I wouldn't say completely, but I would say within the matter of two years, it became almost like a ghost town. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I set up an account on 500px in September 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely stunned and amazed by those images I saw on there. Sean Bagshaw, yeah. Ryan Dyer, Miles Morgan, yeah. uh, uh, and Ted Gore, and you know all those big stars. Absolutely. And, and I was so inspired, and I couldn't fathom or, or figure out how on earth they could create so beautiful and striking images, both in color and contrast and, and atmosphere. It was completely beyond me. So all of those and several others have influenced me without a shadow of doubt. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my image just was terrible back then, absolutely terrible. HDR and so <laughs> Me I, <too>. I thought. <laughs> so I thought in in uh, in in uh, yeah, my image just went noticed at all. So I thought in I think it was a week in in September the same year. So I thought, okay, if I'm a very good boy now and like a lot of images and leave a lot of comments, then people will notice me. But I didn't. So that was a week of wasted (laughs) energy. And, you know, I have family, I have works. I didn't uh, reach many. But what I discovered was it didn't help. So I made a quality decision. I have to learn Photoshop. Sure. That was so. But I have noticed what you have noticed also. A lot of fabulous landscape photographers have left 500px. So it is... Yeah, it's a ghost town compared to what it was. It was such an inspiring sight. Mm-hmm. And I loved being on there. And uh, it's only this past year, perhaps, I have felt that uh, I'm still posting on 500px and, and doing well, but it, it's it's not the same, not at all. I mean, there's definitely still some really good photographers over there. Um, and I, I can think of... <laughs> at least a couple that that's the only place they share their f- work still. I think maybe it's just because they're creatures of habit, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's unfortunate because, um, you know, I, I, I think from a platform perspective, I think it had a lot more going for it than say Instagram. Mm. Um, Cause you know, you weren't, you're not restricted by file size or, you know you don't you don't like if you're posting a a vertical orientation photo like you don't crop you don't have to crop it you know stuff like that correct Um, i mean i think instagram's such a terrible platform for photographers because i mean first you have to like you have to do all this work around just to get your stupid photo on the site to begin with right like Mm, you have to you have to upload it somewhere or email it to yourself or you have to do all this crazy stuff to actually get it on the site and then I don't know. It's it's just amazing to me that that's where everyone has gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't figure it out either because I, I really can't see any advantages with uh, Instagram, save perhaps the business aspect. Right. Well, I think it's that's where all the eyeballs are. Yep. You know, You're right. I think that's really the only reason is because that's you know photographers and non photographers are on Instagram, and if you're looking to get people interested in your workshops or people interested in buying your photos or whatever, like that, that's where people are going to see it. So it makes sense from that perspective, for sure. It's just such a clunky interface. I don't know. Yeah. It's a clunky interface. Images are always on a white background that looks absolutely horrible. They're small. And for an old man who you need glasses, I can see the, all the small, beautiful details. And there are, Oh no, I would rather have 500px. I can see images full screen. You know, you and I, we probably edit our images on a large screen, perhaps 27 inches or something like that. And then we yeah. have to then transform that image down to a small cell phone. And colors look different. Contrast is different. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> no. Yes, it is. So... I've, I'm, I'm on Instagram as, as a deed of necessity in, in a sense, but I don't like it at all. And I mm-hmm. get a lot. And you all also have all these, okay, we have boots and, and spamming on 500px also, but 
Instagram is so much worse. And then oh, I get that's up, crazy. And I get uh, three, four, five uh, ladies inboxing me with a heart and uh, no, zero followers, zero posts. Right. And, and it's like you look at their profile and it's like, oh, you're obviously like a sex worker or something. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So, so I honestly wish that somehow 500px would rise again this old glory where all those fabulous photographers post their work and we can watch it in full screen we can leave decent comments using our keyboard instead of those small keys on our cell phones with a person with 10 thumbs writing on a cell phone is a small hell compared to a keyboard yeah yeah, it's funny. I'm actually, I think for the last two years now, I've, I'm actually a 500px ambassador, which sounds kind of cool, but it's there's not really a whole lot to it, um, honestly. Like, And my goal was to try to get more landscape photographers excited about the platform again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what it is about, I think it must just be their upper management and kind of their direction right now, but... I don't know if you still get their newsletters, like I in, do. like the in, the newsletters that say like in, inspirational or photography inspiration or something like that. I think that, that it says photography topics for you. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but like ninety nine percent of the time, the articles and the things that they're sharing through that are all about like uh, design and. Um, people that are shooting stock photos for magazines and fashion photographers and, and things like that. They almost never feature anything about landscapes anymore for in any of their stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. They, they've completely abandoned that market. They have. And it happened a couple of years ago because you could suddenly, you saw a change in their editor's choice section from, Mm -hmm earlier on having a lot of landscapes, beautiful, striking landscapes in the editor's choice section, suddenly there were nada, nothing. Only those weird, strange Instagram-inspired images which do not connect with me at all. Right, right, right. Like, it's been hyper-filterized and, like, just blown highlights everywhere, and there's like a person that looks really awkwardly placed somewhere in the scene. Just, yeah. <laughs> totally. <Correct. laughs> so I think that was something someone in their uh, leading group decided we are going to do it like this because there are more money in that segment than in the landscape segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably someone has come up with such an idea, but uh, it was not a good idea because it has really made, uh, as you said, Fire Peaks into a ghost town. Well, I'd, I'd be curious for the people that shoot more of that style of photography. Maybe it's maybe they like it now. You know, maybe it, for them it's it's like a really great place to be. Yeah, I think there was a. I don't know if you remember this or not. I want to say it was like 2016 ish. They had sold it to like a Chinese company. Yeah, correct. Um, and then they, um, I think a lot of photographers were licensing their photos through 500px. Mm-hmm. 
And then 500px came out with this whole thing like, oh, by the way, now we're automatically licensing all of your photos in China now too. And there's no way for you to opt out unless you completely like, and I think that just pissed a lot of people off and they were like, I'm out of here. Yeah, Um, that's correct. That's angered a lot of people and alienated a lot of people. Yeah. Not a good move at all. So, no, un- unless that was intentional, but that seems kind of foolish because I feel like the vast majority of the people that were paying subscribers of to, of the platform are landscape photographers. Yeah, that's right. So I think uh, what happened is they made a huge mistake, and then in trying to recover from that mistake, they said, okay, we've lost that crowd. We, we need to focus on a different crowd now is my thought. Be could be absolutely it could be yeah so and and uh, whenever i see that uh, email coming in my inbox photography topics for you i'm thinking no these are not photography topics for me at all not at <laughs> all <laughs> well i don't know if you caught it there was a i did an article for them back maybe it was last year so one of the cool things they do for ambassadors is um you can sign up for like these briefs and uh, basically articles or things like that. So what I did is I signed up for a uh, editor's choice takeover. But the the thing that they the stipulations they put on it were really interesting, and it made really? it super challenging for me. So I can't remember the exact numbers, but I had to basically only feature people that had been active in the last year. Um, a photo that was uploaded in the last year and someone who had less than 5,000 followers on the platform, Yeah, Yeah. which was actually really difficult. But anyway, I was able to pull together a lot of really cool shots. Uh, You did. It was a lot harder than it used to be. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. But you you did well and, and you found those images and I think it must have cost you a lot of hours of work to to find those images and to and uh, yeah you did well and i think it was a lot of work behind it yeah but it was like you know i don't it's just interesting because i don't think it did a whole lot in terms of trying to get landscape folks back to the platform i think it's i think the bus has left the station (laughs) yeah probably has uh flicker SmugMug has bought Flickr, as you know and all knows now, by now. Yeah, it was and down for like what couple, like almost a full day last week, and they switched it over to Amazon servers, and it's like blazing fast. Yep, I I have I have been in Romsdalen all weekend, so I haven't had time to check the the new Flickr and, and the, after the update, but I guess I have to do it tomorrow. Hmm. But Flickr also offers a very good viewing experiment experience sorry viewing experience mm-hmm. there are uh, um, the images simply look great on the site and uh, but of course the, the the engagement is far lower than for instance instagram and, and even 500px so I, i'm one yeah. of those lucky dudes who, who do well on 500px for some some reason <laughs> which, which puzzles me now and then, but uh, anyway, I'm 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 I've been lucky, so I have a good engagement on on Fiverr PX, so I cannot complain. Well, that, that's good. I mean, I think that's hard to 
hard to say nowadays. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say nowadays. So, you know, I, I have seen so many amazing landscape photographers, you no, know, especially on on Instagram, whose work just blows me uh, away. Just mm, amazing, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, Wolendik, you have been incredibly fortunate to fortunate to do well on that 500px platform. But man, there are a lot of photographers out there who are way better than you. So that's a good way of keeping my uh, myself in in check, so I don't get this big nasty ego. Yeah, I mean, you know, I personally, my kind of thing is if you're going to compare yourself to other people, like you're always, no matter who you are, you're always going to find someone who's better. Um, So I don't know. I think it's a healthy exercise for, to humble yourself now and then, but also I think it's important to know, like as artists, um, you may think someone else's work is better than yours, but at the end of the day, there's probably a bunch of people that think your best, your, your work is some of the best there is. So I don't know, man. I think it's it's okay to take pride in what we do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know I have created a few very good images which which I still enjoy, which I still like. And I also know I have created a, a lot of not very good images <laughs> <laughs> which have for some reason done well, but when I look uh, when I see them now, I'm okay. So okay. what what drives you to keep to keep creating more uh, work? Oh, I wish I could explain that, Matt. Uh, I really can't. It's it is that inner drive that just mm. propels me onward, and it's really difficult. It, it it has something with the joy of being out in nature, of course, mm-hmm. experience those moments, and there's also this aspect of sitting behind my computer and edit an image, there's some, some soul rest in it, if mm. I can use, put it like that, mm-hmm. which does me very good mm. to just mm-hmm. sit there and relax. Yeah. It, it's great. a sort of, of, of a rest in it, which I cannot explain. Yeah, I'm sure it's the same feeling some people get for like listening to music or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's the same same thing in a, in a sense. I'm curious, uh, who are some photographers that you would love listeners to hear from here on the podcast? Oh, I, I think you have covered most of them, but perhaps my friend Dag Ole Nordhau. No, I th- I think perhaps you should send him an, uh, a note. He has a lot of uh, thoughts about the photography, and he has a very good and, and really talented photographer. Yeah, and and his English is much better than mine. Oh, well, that's hard to believe. Your English is great. <laughs> well, thank you. You are very kind. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, oh man, I, I know you have most of had most of my. Those I had, I had my. Have you had Miles Morgan, by the way? I have, yeah. You, Ryan Dyer, of course. Yep, yep. Oh, I'll, I'll send you an email if I come up with some names. But the dog Ole, send him a mail. Okay, yeah, I think I've reached out to him, but um, I'll definitely try again for sure. I think he's just a busy dude. 
<laughs> yeah, he's very busy. You know, he he's a surgeon at a, at a large hospital in in Trondheim. Oh, and, wow, okay. Uh, so he has often long duties when he's uh, at work. Well, Ule, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, to chat with us about your journey. Yeah, it has been been a pleasure. I have to admit, I was very nervous before, but you have made this a uh, very pleasant journey. So thank you. Matt. Oh, thank you for for having the courage to 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 have fun with me. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's been so good. Thank you so much. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks to Ule for coming onto the show to share his awesome views with us and to share with us the wisdom of Norway. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. I know I did, and I really want to go to Norway now. <laughs> well, I have a lot of updates to announce, so hang in there. And I'm really excited to be able to thank our amazing supporters of the show and talk about upcoming events and upcoming guests. First, thanks so much to my good friend Gary Randall for upping his pledge to $50 a month. I can't even begin to tell you how amazing you are, dude. I'm so looking forward to sharing what you're up to here on the podcast with our listeners. Next, I'd like to give a special thanks to all the people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. These are the individuals that contribute at the $20 a month or higher on our Patreon page. And I'm planning a special Google Hangouts with these people in a couple of weeks so they can help guide the future of the podcast. So thanks to Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Denny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchelern, Matthew Boone, Zachary Smith, and Gary Randall. Okay, well we're also doing something new over on our Patreon page. Our patrons of the podcast are encouraged to participate in our themed photo contests by submitting them to the community board on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash fstop and listen slash community. The theme for the past two weeks was S-curves. We had some really amazing submissions from our talented patrons, including Dimitri Kirshner, Jeffrey Anderson, Mark Klafschenkel, Gary Randall, Richard Wong, Steve Bennett, and Jesse Brown Nelson. I really loved all the submissions this week. I really loved all of the submissions. We have some incredible photographers in our community. In the end, I just had to pick the photograph from Jesse Brown Nelson from Badlands National Park. There's just something magical and incredible about it. Nice work, everyone. The next theme, which ends June 21st, is Intimate Landscapes. Let's see all of your amazing intimate landscape photographs. And no, I don't mean nudes. <laughs> One of our patrons, Charlotte Gibb, just posted a great article about these types of photos, which I have linked in the liner notes for your enjoyment. Lastly, I want to remind folks that there's a really simple way to support the podcast. If you're going to make any photography purchases, consider using our B&H affiliate link, which is in the liner notes and over on the website for the podcast at www.mattpainphotography.com. Our next guest is Justin Macheski. Justin is an amazing videographer and photographer living in the Lake Tahoe area. I'm really looking forward to talking to Justin and sharing our conversation with you guys. 
We also have some amazing, exciting guests coming up, including David Cobb, Weihao Pan, and a lot more. I'm also really looking forward to a panel discussion with Aaron Reed and Colby Brown about marketing and business. They will be fielding listener questions, so keep an eye out for that thread over on NPN. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.